Chapter Twelve, Part Two of Recollections of the Revolution and the Empire. This is a LibriVox recording, or LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Madame Denis, my aunt, had emigrated to England and was very anxious to have me come there and join her, but the health of my sister-in-law was visibly declining, and I did not wish to leave her. On the other hand, my father-in-law was thinking of joining us in Holland. My husband passed several days at The Hague between the 10th of August and the massacres of September, 1792. Then his father recalled him to London to be with him. During the last days of November, 1792, the Convention adopted a decree against the émigrés and fixed a short term in which they could return to France under pain of confiscation. My excellent father-in-law was in England and was thinking of joining us at The Hague, where his daughter and I were awaiting him with impatience, but the news of this decree changed his plans. He wrote us that he was not willing to injure the interests of his children on account of any personal consideration, and that he should return to Paris. I do not know why I neglected to speak of the flight of Messieurs de Lafayette, Alexandre de Lamette, and de la Tour Maubourg. All three secretly left the Corps d'Armée commanded by Monsieur de Lafayette to pass into foreign territory, with a foolish confidence which it will be difficult to explain. Having presented themselves at the advance posts of the Austrians, they were at once arrested. The Austrians wished to use them as hostages to guarantee the safety of the king and his family, who had been confined in the temple since the day of the 10th of August. Monsieur Alexandre de Lamette had permission to write to his sister-in-law, who was then with me at The Hague, as I have already said, in order to ask for money. Monsieur de Lafayette, for his part, wrote to Mr. Short, the American minister at The Hague, a man named Dulon, who had been for many years in the service of the French legation, had undertaken to arrange the escape of Monsieur de Lafayette, who was imprisoned at Liège. For this purpose, it was necessary for him to have at least 25,000 francs. Mr. Short, although he was a rich man, refused to advance the sum. Accordingly, Monsieur de Lafayette was transferred with his two companions to the prison of Olmitz, where he remained until the Treaty of Campo Formio, October 1797. At the end of the terror, Madame de Lafayette went to Vienna, accompanied by her two daughters, and obtained permission from the Emperor of Austria to be shut up at Olmitz with her husband, and to undergo all the rigours of his fate. Almost by a miracle, she had escaped the scaffold upon which perished on the same day, 22nd of July, 1794, her grandmother, her mother and her sister. In her voluntary captivity she showed a resignation and a courage which only religion could have inspired. Nevertheless, she had never been treated by her husband except with the most cruel indifference and she certainly could not have forgotten the numerous infidelities of which he had been guilty. My father commanded the corps d'armée established in camp between Quesnois and Valenciennes. 
At the news of the events of the month of August 1792 at Paris, the attack on the Tuileries and the overthrow of the monarchy, he had addressed an order of the day to the troops, prescribing the renewal of the oath of fidelity to the king, which he himself took at the same time. The result of this noble profession of faith was his removal, the 23rd of August, 1792, with the order to report at Paris. My endeavours to prevent this remained fruitless, and my fears were only too well justified. I have always reproached myself because I did not go to find him and force him to return with me to The Hague. God had decided otherwise. Poor father! He perished on the scaffold, 13th of April, 1794. As I owned a house at Paris, occupied by the Swedish ambassador, and had an income from the state or from the city of Paris, my husband was afraid that my name would be put on the list of emigres which was about to appear. He therefore sent to me at The Hague a very faithful valet de chambre to accompany me on my return to Paris, and charged him to tell me that I would find at the Belgian frontier, several leagues from Antwerp, a former aide-de-camp of my father provided with an order to secure my safety, and that this man would escort me, if necessary. I made my adieu to my poor sister-in-law, who died two months later, and set out in company with my son, aged two years and a half, my faithful Marguerite, a valet de chambre, and my negro, Samour. The winter, which had just commenced, rendered the journey very disagreeable. The first day of December 1792, buried in the back of an excellent berline, well enveloped with furs and bearskins, I left The Hague to pass the first night, I think, at Gorkum. During the whole day we heard the noise of cannon, my valet de chambre thought that this noise must come from the French who were besieging the city of Antwerp, but it would take them a long time to capture the city as the garrison was very strong and the city well provisioned. The next day at Breda, a city situated also in Holland, there was the same noise of cannonade. As no alarming news was published, I set out nevertheless without fear and found at the Austrian frontier of the Low Countries Monsieur Schnetz, a brave officer and a friend of my father's, whose presence gave me great pleasure. Arrived there the evening before, he had been astonished to hear that there was no news from Antwerp. He said laughingly, but without really believing it, that perhaps the city had been taken. However, about midday, the noise of the cannon having ceased, he then declared that this rampart of the Austrian power had capitulated, which was indeed true. On arriving at the French post at the exterior gate of the city, we learned that the French were masters of this great fortress. On arriving at the Hôtel du Grand Laboureur upon the large Place Mer, we had much trouble in obtaining a room. It was only due to the intervention of a general, whose name escapes me, that an officer gave up for me the room in which he was already installed, from which he had his baggage taken out with rather bad grace. In the morning 
Monsieur Schnetz informed me that we must set out for Mons, where we were to pass the night, as had been arranged. I was so upset by the events of the previous day that I did not venture to request the privilege of passing the next night at Brussels, which would have permitted me to see my aunt, Lady Jerningham, who was then in this city with her daughter. It was therefore arranged that we should only change horses at Brussels. In leaving Antwerp, I was struck by the originality of a spectacle new to me. Between the advance lines of the fortifications and the first post at Contich, we passed through the entire French army which was in bivouac there. These conquerors, who had already caused the armies of Austria and Prussia to tremble, had all the appearance of a horde of bandits. The greater part were without uniforms. The convention had had manufactured in haste for the soldiers caps of cloth of the most varied colours, for which they had requisitioned the material from all the shops of Paris and the large cities. The officers only were in uniform, but their uniforms had none of the brilliant embroideries of which Napoleon later on was so prodigal. Forced to go almost at a walk, the route to me appeared very long. The highways had been cut up by the artillery and were encumbered by wagons, caissons and cannon. We proceeded slowly in the midst of the cries and oaths of the charretiers and the gross pleasantries of the soldiers. I saw that Schnetz was disturbed and that he regretted that we had not taken an escort. Finally, at nightfall, we reached Madin, where we passed the night quietly although there were still many troops. The following morning we set out for Brussels, where we were to pass through without stop. But Monsieur de Chabrion, commandant of the city, thought otherwise. At the moment that the horses were ready, and after Schnetz had already had our passports feased, there arrived an order from the general that I should be detained. The horses were unhitched, and when I wished to descend from the carriage to look for a shelter in the Maison de Poste, I found sentinels placed at the two doors of the carriage who prevented me. Schnetz immediately went to the general headquarters to demand the reason for this vexatious delay. Finally, at the end of three hours, the general authorised my departure, without having condescended to explain this singular abuse of authority. He was a man of the world whom I had met a hundred times in society, without ever having spoken to him. He was very short-sighted and had a very revolutionary spirit. I was not yet at the end of my alarms. On arriving late at Mons, we had much trouble in finding a lodging. All the inns were full. At last, in one place, we succeeded in finding two little rooms for my maid and myself, which were located in a very low first story looking out upon the street. The officers who had occupied them had just left. Schnetz and my two domestics were to sleep at the end of a very large court, so that my maid and I were separated from them. This arrangement was very far from pleasing me, but it was necessary to submit. I therefore lay down on my bed without undressing. During the night, I was disturbed and alarmed by officers who endeavoured to enter my room. 
The following morning, shortly after our departure, we met an escadron composed entirely of negroes, all of whom were well mounted and perfectly equipped. They were commanded by the handsome negro of the Duc d'Orléans, Egalité. His name was Edouard, and he was well acquainted with my negro, Zamour, who asked my permission to spend the day with his friends. I was afraid that they would endeavour to persuade him to join them, and that I should never see him again, but I was mistaken. This worthy fellow was very well treated by his comrades during the day, but at night he rejoined me. The remainder of my journey passed without any circumstances worthy of being reported. Monsieur Schnetz left me at Peronne, and I continued my route to Enoncourt, where I found my brother-in-law, the Marquis de la Mette. End of part one, chapter twelve, B.